Good morning. Thank you. Today's reading from the Word of God comes from Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Please follow along in your own Bibles on the screen behind me or listen as I read the scripture. Uh, once again, that's Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Um, following the reading, I invite you to respond in worship with the singing of the doxology. At that time, children are invited to join Kitzrock through the door on your right. Hear the word of the Lord. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day that he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, um, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you have heard me speaking about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has said by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem, and in all of Judea and Samaria, uh, and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside him. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, church. My name is Allie, and I'm one of the pastors here at High Rock, and I am so glad to be worshiping with you this morning. Each week, it's our practice to pause and sit in a moment of silence before we begin so that we can quiet our minds and set aside the distractions of the morning. So let's take a moment of quiet now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together this morning to look at your word um, and to hear from you. God, we pray that you would Give us ears to hear what you are saying to us, Lord, um, and open hearts as we receive your message. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last summer, Pastor Ethan, Pastor Jean, and I went through the credentialing process to become licensed pastors in our denomination, our broader church family, the Evangelical Covenant Church. That's our lovely logo for the ECC. Do you guys see the four guys sitting in a hot tub? <laughs> You'll never be able to look at it the same way again. Part of this credentialing process included a psychological assessment and a debrief meeting with a psychologist. This was pretty intense, but understandably so. The goal is to make sure that the denomination is not creating an unsafe situation for either pastors or congregations by affirming someone to leadership with, that has an unknown or an unmanaged mental health issue. 
So over Zoom, I sat down with a psychologist, and I had to tell her everything. She wanted to hear my whole life story with a special interest in my childhood and my calling to ministry. So I told her everything in as much detail as I could muster. I told her about growing up worshiping here at Dane Street. I told her about growing up serving in church alongside my parents. I told her about Sunday school and youth group, about developing a love for the local church and feeling like church was my family. I told her about choosing to go to a Christian college. I told her about choosing to study biology and not feeling that passionate about it. I told her about experiencing a prompting from the Holy Spirit in my last year of college to consider ministry. After we had gone through my whole history, she looked at me with this look that was like 80% curiosity and 20% disappointment. And she said, just to clarify, with all of those experiences, you never once considered ministry before you were nearly done with your degree? Yikes, right? What a question. I felt exposed. Because what she could see, looking at my story and my history, were the ways that God might have been leading me here from my childhood. And what I imagined she could see, because her eyes were just like a little too knowing, were all of the times that I missed or ignored the promptings of the Holy Spirit and created a vision for my life by myself. I had limited myself because I was creating a vision only out of what I was familiar with and what I felt capable of. Church, what about you? When in your life have you done this? Because we all do this all the time. We try to find our own path, choose our own way forward, and charge through relying on only our own strength. We do this at work. We do this in relationships. We do this with our charity and our service to our neighbors. We even do this in how we do church. We limit ourselves to our own vision and our own effort. We limit ourselves to what we've seen or have done before. We limit ourselves to what we've been told works. We limit ourselves out of insecurity, self-doubt, or shame. But what if God's vision for us, what if God's intentions for us, what if God's movement through us was bigger than we could have imagined? Since the fall, our sermon series have followed the path of our church mantra, which is that we want to be a community that honors God through loving Jesus, serving our neighbors, and celebrating life. Love Jesus, serve neighbors, celebrate life. In the fall, we began with loving Jesus with our extended Advent series, Greater, Jesus in the Book of Hebrews. And each week, we looked at a way that Jesus is greater than the, the things that God's people are tempted to put their hopes in. Then we did a combo of love Jesus and serve neighbor with our series, Yes And, the whole mission of Jesus. And during that series, we looked at what Jesus came to do and how we are called to join him in that mission. 
And last week, Pastor Brain wrapped up our Lenten series, Repurposed, Living Lives of Generosity, where our focus was serving our neighbors with the excess in our lives. And now, church, I hope you're excited because it is time to celebrate life. Yeah, there we go. This week, we are kicking off our new sermon series, In Good Spirit, Transformation in the Book of Acts. Two weeks ago, we gathered together on Easter to celebrate that Jesus rose from the grave. Over the next couple of months, we are going to be journeying through the book of Acts, looking at the ways that his resurrection transforms our lives. Each week, we'll take a look at a different area of our lives that is transformed by the resurrection. Because the resurrection truly transforms everything. Our stories, our culture, our community, our allegiances. That is what this sermon series is all about. It's about the radical, subversive, wonderful work of the Spirit in our lives and in our world that changes everything. And today, we're going to begin by looking at the way that Jesus' resurrection transforms our vision. But first, a very brief introduction into the book of Acts. In the first verse that Will read for us today, we heard a reference to a previous book. Does anybody know what other book our author wrote? That's right, yes, Luke. As in the gospel according to Luke is our author. I'm so glad our pastors know that. (laughs) Luke wrote Acts as a continuation of the work that he began in the gospel of Luke. That's why some of you may have heard his writings referred to as Luke Acts, like one big mega book. Some of you may also have heard its full name, the Acts of the Apostles, which is a less good name. Yes, Acts is foundationally a selective history of the early church. Luke did the research and he told the history of the events that he thought were important in the spread of the early church. Basically, as we read Acts, we're following the lives of the apostles, these people who knew Jesus personally, and we're following the story of how Christ spread through them in the first century. We see story after story of transformation all over the culture, stories about real people and how their lives were changed. We see stories of social change and communities changing and allegiances changing, and we are invited to be changed too. Now, even though Acts follows the ministry of the apostles, because it is a continuation of the gospel of Luke, the main character is not the apostles. The main character is Jesus. But wait, didn't we just read that Jesus ascended into heaven in chapter one? Yes, yes we did. It's true, if Acts were a movie, Jesus would not have a lot of screen time. But what is at the center of Acts is this permeating reality that Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive and he is reigning as king from heaven And his spirit is present and active and transforming the world. So maybe a better name would be something like the Acts of Jesus, part two. It's not super catchy. We can workshop that later. Luke addresses his writings to a guy named Theophilus. Theophilus was most likely a wealthy man with an interest in Jesus 
who supported Luke financially while he wrote. So Luke addresses Theophilus, gives him a recap of where he left off in the Gospel of Luke, and sets the scene for our passage today. Jesus was eating with his disciples when he gave them a very specific command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus was telling the disciples not to leave Jerusalem because they did not yet have the Holy Spirit. They needed to wait for their gift first. And this gift of the Holy Spirit isn't just something the disciples should want to have. It's not just a nice parting gift. It's something, or rather, someone that they need to have. Before Jesus' death and resurrection, Jesus had told the disciples multiple times about the gift of the Holy Spirit that they would be given. Jesus told them that they would be sent the Holy Spirit as their helper. The Holy Spirit had been with the disciples before, but Jesus was promising the Spirit's presence permanently to guide and empower them toward a bigger vision for their lives and what the kingdom would look like. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus even told the disciples a very specific example of a time that they would need the Holy Spirit. Jesus had told them, not if, but when, when you have to stand before rulers, when you have to stand before religious authorities, then the Holy Spirit will tell you what to say. So here's Jesus telling his disciples to wait in Jerusalem, saying, hey, remember that gift I told you about? the one that's going to help you out like all of the time in some pretty critical and intimidating situations, yeah, you need to wait around for that gift before you go off on your own. You need the gift of the Holy Spirit first. Jesus finishes this command to wait in Jerusalem by referring back to John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a prophet who prepared the people for Jesus' ministry by preaching the need for repentance and baptizing people in water as a sign of that repentance from sin. John told those who followed him that the real Messiah, the one who would be the God's way of saving his people from their sin, that Messiah would baptize with the Holy Spirit instead of water. Why is this important? The apostles were formed in a culture that had very specific expectations for the Messiah. The Jewish people at that time expected that a Messiah would be a military leader, one that would overthrow the oppressive Roman government and restore the kingdom of Israel to its status as a nation above all nations and favored by God. We all have expectations for what Jesus is going to do in our lives. And most of the time, our expectations are far too small. We can't see past ourselves and our experiences, and we can't imagine beyond what we currently know. The disciples had expectations for Jesus that were way too small. They could only think what they had been taught to expect, that he would be an earthly political king. They couldn't imagine that Jesus had a bigger kingdom in mind. So when Jesus was crucified, they were disappointed and confused. 
How could this guy have been our savior, the strong military leader we were looking for, if he had died? But now, as Jesus, who is standing in front of them, very much alive again, and he's talking and referencing about how he is the Messiah, their hope and their expectations are renewed. The disciples, as those closest to Jesus, had a vision for the way they expected their lives to go. They envisioned themselves being the close friend of the king, probably in a cushy government job with power and responsibility and perks. They get a little bit excited. So they ask him, is now the time? Is now the time you're going to overthrow the oppressive government and take the throne as our rightful king? It's a yes or no question to which Jesus answers neither yes or no. And he says instead that it's only for God the Father to know. It's a classic redirect. Let's not worry about that right now. Instead, I have something better for you to do. Jesus is helping them put down their vision so they can instead take on the better vision that Jesus has for them. In my own story, Jesus had to help me put down my vision of a career in the sciences so that I could take on the better vision of a calling to ministry that he had for me. In a way, I also got the same kind of redirect. Mine just took a few more months. To prep for the summer before my senior year of college, I applied to a bunch of internships, hoping that the experience that I gained at such internship would help me figure out what my next step would be and would help me get a job after college. That's the path that I had been told would work. Internship, experience, profit. It was supposed to be tried and true. Instead, door after door closed. I didn't get any internships. So I showed up to my fall semester feeling lost and anxious about what I was going to do next. I spent loads of time researching different options, and I also spent lots more time praying and asking God, where do I go from here? At the same time, at the suggestion of my pastor, I was taking a class on youth ministry. I had told myself that I was taking this just as a fun elective, that it might be helpful if I ever wanted to help out with the youth group. I loved it. It was my favorite class. And because doors had closed and I was wondering what was next, I was finally in a place where I could hear God say to me, don't worry about the science stuff for now. Try this instead. Put down the vision that is familiar and too small. I have a better vision for you. Jesus' vision for the apostles was to be witnesses. And he wasn't going to stop this mission in Jerusalem. Jesus' vision was bigger, moving beyond borders to the ends of the earth. Jesus is sending the apostles to start his church by telling people all that they experienced with Jesus. What he taught, who he was, the miracles that they saw him do, that he was crucified, and that he rose from the grave. But in order to take on this vision, in order to even understand it, and in order to participate in it, the apostles need the Holy Spirit. 
Because as Jesus said, they will be empowered by the Holy Spirit. This means that the Holy Spirit will help them do the work that on their own is beyond their capabilities. The empowerment of the Holy Spirit allows believers to do things that are beyond our willpower. They are beyond our gifts. They are beyond our talents and beyond our own skills. In order for the apostles to be successful in the task that was set out before them, they needed help. Just like the apostles, if we are going to participate fully in the vision that Jesus has for us, we also need the Holy Spirit, and we need to depend upon the Holy Spirit. But what does that look like in our lives? How do we know we are hearing or being led by the Spirit? Well, the first question we need to ask ourselves is, do I believe that Jesus is God? And do I believe that Jesus died for me? Why is this question important? Because the Holy Spirit is a gift that is only given to those who believe in Jesus. The Holy Spirit is God. And the Holy Spirit can only dwell within us if we are reconciled with God. Because of the work that Jesus did in his death and in his resurrection, if we believe in him and choose to follow him, we can receive the forgiveness of sins and have a restored relationship with God. And when we have a restored relationship with God, God can literally live with us all the time. When we have a restored relationship with God, God can live with us all the time. If you believe in Jesus, there are a variety of ways that you may experience the Holy Spirit in your life. Some of the more common ways include feeling a gentle nudge to do something, or feeling a calm sense of assurance about a decision or a situation. You might see the Holy Spirit show up in a passage of scripture that moves you, or in a passage of scripture that comes to mind at some point during your day. You might see the Holy Spirit's voice speaking to you through another believer who speaks words of grace, truth, or encouragement to you. Or you might sense the Holy Spirit when you're outside enjoying the outdoors and you feel an overwhelming sense of awe at creation and our creator. Some people experience the Holy Spirit in their dreams. Personally, I tend to experience the Holy Spirit most through a strong gut feeling or a feeling like I'm supposed to do something that I just can't shake. I was planning on sharing a personal example of when I felt the Holy Spirit prompt me in this way, but as I was finishing up my sermon this morning at 4 a.m., yeah, yikes, I got a Facebook message from a relative that I haven't seen in quite a long time. He sent me a link to a worship song and said, I woke up with this song in my head, and I felt like I was supposed to send it to you. I hope you find it encouraging. Of course, I listened to the song, and of course, it was incredibly encouraging, not only for the moment of sermon writing, but also in trusting the Lord in some other ways that I've been wrestling with. I replied to let him know that I was awake and that I was working on a sermon about the Holy Spirit, and he said, you know, I was just going to go back to sleep and send it to you later. 
but I just had this feeling that I had to send it to you now. Church, that's the feeling I'm talking about. The one that moves you a step beyond, oh, maybe I should. It would be pretty nice if I did that. To that feeling in your gut that says, not later. Do it now. You may be hearing this list and wondering, how do I know that that thought or that feeling isn't just something that I want to do? How do I know that what I'm feeling isn't the influence of a friend or even just an intrusive thought? First, we can rest assured knowing that God's character and voice remain constant. That means that the Holy Spirit will never lead you to do something that is contrary to the character of God that we find in the Bible. For example, the Holy Spirit will never lead you to do something that is unloving or unjust. And as we get to know the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives, we can always check what we think we're hearing with the word of God. Second, we worship together in a community of believers so that we can help and encourage one another as we follow Jesus. If you aren't sure, you think you're hearing something from the Holy Spirit and you're not sure if it really is the Holy Spirit, ask a fellow believer for their take. Ask them what they think is going on. I actually think this is super cool. So if I have a question about what the Holy Spirit is doing in my life, I can say, ask my friend and fellow believer, Pastor Gene, what he thinks. Then, not only can Pastor Gene's experience of the character of God help me, but also the Holy Spirit dwelling within Pastor Gene can help us figure out what the Holy Spirit is telling to me. Isn't that cool? It's the best. We do not have to discern what the Holy Spirit is inviting us to do on our own. And last, if you're thinking that you haven't heard the Holy Spirit, or you feel like the Holy Spirit has gone quiet in your life, you can ask God to help you listen and notice the Spirit in your life. And the Holy Spirit is a gift that God delights to give. And he'll help you. When we are attuned to the Holy Spirit as individuals and as a body of believers, we are able to live with a transformed vision. We can follow the vision that Jesus has for us that may be greater than what we alone could imagine or accomplish. So friends, I encourage you this week to spend some time in prayer. Pray and ask Jesus what his vision for your life is. Pray and ask Jesus what his vision for our church community is. And as you pray for insight into vision, ask the Holy Spirit to lead you and to guide you and empower you for that vision. Because if we are going to live out the bigger vision of Jesus, we cannot do it without the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence in our lives. We thank you for the ways that you guide and that you lead and you empower us. We ask that you would continue to lead and guide us toward the vision 
that Jesus has for us, Lord. May we notice and be aware and follow the promptings of your presence in our life. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, I'd like to invite Jess and Mackenzie to come back up. In a moment, we're going to have a time of uh, corporate confession followed by a time of communion. Confession is a time when we invite God to search us and help us identify where we are or have been wrong. Then we admit those failings to God and when necessary to one another. And finally, we ask God and others for their forgiveness. A part of receiving communion is remembering the person and work of Jesus and that his death was for us and his sacrifice was all sufficient. Jess and Mackenzie are going to lead us in another song. Parents and guardians, if you would like your child to participate in communion with us, now is your opportunity to go and get them from Kids Rock. After the song, I'll come back up and provide some more instruction for us. <laughs>